and welcome to another spectacular, wonderful episode of Norman D.A.F.M. Did that work, Ken? We had a we had a suggestion from a listener who said mm. that's what we should call it. I don't know. Mm. I think we're getting closer. We're getting closer every week. We're we're almost done with the first game. I don't think we get to like suddenly make a name change right now. Well, Snoop Lion has changed his name multiple times. Well, we're not Snoop Lion. <laughs> As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, alongside my co-host, Kenneth Shepard. And joining us today, we have the wonderful Amy Hart. Hello. Hi, guys. Hello. Oh, we are excited. We're excited to have you on. Amy, uh, you are the deputy editor of Gaming Mag. You are also one of the hosts of Fodlin FM. And we're very I happy am. to have you on. And I gotta know, why Orzammar? Why? Why the dwarves? Because, you know, I feel like dwarves get such a bad reputation in Dragon Age because nobody wants to play them. And I believe it was David Gator who was like, we're not going to give you a dwarven romance ever. And I'm like, okay, you hate dwarves. We get it. (laughs) But dwarves are so good. They're so underrated. And I feel like uh, Orzammar in particular is just full of political intrigue in a way that's much more succinct than Denarim. Mm. And I, I just enjoy... Because uh, I played the... I'm, well, I'm currently playing the Dwarven Noble Origin, and I, it just feels so much better playing a Dwarven Noble and going back to Orzammar, mm. or even a Dwarven Commoner. And I just feel as though... The dwarves need more love. It's always like canary or elves or humans. And I'm like, yeah, but what about the cute little dwarves? <laughs> like, they, they, they deserve some love. And I'm here to give that uh, pers- like perspective. <laughs> it's, in- it's interesting, like, going into this episode, I, I, I was playing it and immediately I, I felt by the time I got into Orzammar, which is while we're covering in this episode the whole paragon of her kind quest is that i was going oh my god there's so much stuff here i forgot all this stuff that that is going on in the dwarf like dwarven politics and the way their society is structured and the way they all kind of feel about oh uh topsiders versus being underground and still having your stone sense and all that and there's so much interesting stuff going on with the different castes of society and and like class structure and class <laughs> like battle and stuff like that but mm-hmm. none of it pops up later on in the series that i was going like wait where's this all been and i was like oh right they just kind of don't address this again and the only dwarf you really engage with like from here on out after origins is really like it's 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 very and, and scout harding that's, that's the two you get <laughs> yeah and like you know Varric's amazing I love Varric but he's like a surface dwarf I'm... and his whole shtick is oh you know I, I'm so different from the dwarves <laughs> back home and I'm like okay ebony dementia way we get it <laughs> but, but like I don't know um, I, I just feel as though yeah like you said they kind of forgot the dwarves like, as they go on further throughout the game. I feel like if you're a real big dwarf fan, like I am, Origins is, like, your bread and butter, kind of. Mm. Ken, I, I'm going to start with you, because mm. 
as as those at home may know if they've listened to us for a long time when we do these podcasts uh ken is the most diligent note taker of all of us being that ken takes actual detailed notes in a google doc and i just kind of screenshot things that make me laugh so (laughs) ken you open your orzammar notes with ugh i don't wanna Mm -hmm. what do you not wanna ken (laughs) i don't want to be here i don't want to stay here i don't want to deal with like all these dwarves and all their problems so my thing is dragon age origins is a game of like every like plot line and like quest line that you do in this game is like a contender for the worst quest line in this game so (laughs) i feel like orzammar in particular like it is like neck and neck for me with the circle and like the the whole the, the fade nonsense that it's so bloated. It is so long. It is so exhaustingly tedious to get through. And I feel like it's like 40% longer than it needs to be. Like, I feel like there are sections of it that you could easily cut out and it would just help the pacing of everything that's going on. But also, I I get that, like, they are trying to give people who weren't, like, Dwarven Noble or Dwarven Commoner that sort of, like, grand tour of Dwarven politics and, like, the, the caste system they have. And you have to basically go through every different instance of Dwarven culture in the matter of, like, five or six hours of a game. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. it's just so much. And I don't care for it. Mm. See, Ken, I'm gonna have to fire back at you here. Well, I'm fuck you. Back. So... <laughs> You know, you can hold me accountable to this, Ken. Last mm. night, I was messaging you saying, this is so goddamn long. This is, <laughs> this is like, the longest section I've played. I was, like, miserable about it. This morning, I woke up fresh. I'd beaten it last night. I woke up. I was like, okay. In my head, I was like, I gotta get ready now. We're, we're talking about Orzammar tonight. How am I gonna talk about it? And as I was thinking about all the things that happened in Orzammar... I began to question my state. I began to question how I how I was approaching this game. And I came to a few conclusions. I want you to hear them out, Ken. Right mm. here, right now. Alright. I would like Dragon Age Origins more if I was not playing it for this podcast. Are you mm, re- right. were you I, um... ready for that heat? <laughs> no, I don't I don't I know I don't know where this is going yet, but I'm I'm on board, I'm listening. I I realize that when I first played this game, way back, I mean, I can, I think it would have been 2010, 2011 is when I played this game, because I remember specifically where I was, because I played, this is a side tangent, y'all just get used to this, uh, I remember playing a lot of games my freshman and sophomore year that my doormates hated. Uh, one of them was Dragon Age Origins, because they said it always looked really depressing, and then the other one that my roommate hated was when I would play Tales of Symphonia on my GameCube because he hated the part where a character would just keep saying Demon Fang over and over again because mm. I was trying to level up Demon Fang. <laughs> okay. Tales fans will appreciate that. Um, but I remember it took me a much longer amount of time to get through this game than it did pretty much every other Bioware game I've played. Dragon Age like all other Dragon Ages included. I think it probably took me about like a week to get through Inquisition, but that's because I was like binging it at that point. And also I was like, 
oh, I think I was right out of college at that point and just didn't have much else to do besides play Dragon Age. <laughs> so, uh, but Origins, I feel like it's a slower burn and it needs that time to breathe. And really, this episode drove home to me how much each area is kind of supposed to be its own contained, almost like D&D campaign, where mm. you're kind of going in with whatever characters you choose, and then you're going to play out this campaign. And it's going to be very contained, and it's going to have kind of overarching consequences, but especially within just the bounds of that of this story you are going to play through it and you're going to get like a set campaign story i feel like the dlc kind of mirrors that as well because a lot of the dlc for this game uh some of it i think we've said already we're not covering because it's just it's a side story it's a tangent it's it's not really pertinent to the whole of dragon age it's just a side thing to do if you want to do it to like learn a little bit more about the world and about what Thetis is, what's going on there. But in that respect, I find Orzammar extremely interesting because there's just so much here. Like, if if you have that desire, like like Amy was talking about, to just want to learn about all these, the dwarven culture, the way all these people work, the way their society works, and especially as you get further into the this specific quest just the little intricacies and conflicts and the way that the underground has evolved over the years it's super dense in a way that i feel i would appreciate more if i wasn't sitting there going okay well we have to record tomorrow and i need to finish this tonight which means i need to get through this so now i just feel this ticking clock running up against Mm. time that i would rather be letting this like breathe you know Mm. um that's that's kind of where I'm at with Orzammar, where I feel like this is, a, this is a whole sequence of events that plays out better the longer you have to let it breathe. And, I mean, before we jump into it, there is like a quick interstitial that happens before we get here uh, that I wanted to bring up with you, Ken, because I thought I remember this very differently. But we get a dream scene with Alistair where we see the Archdemon, the Archdemon yet again, big old dragon dude. And we wake up and we're being ambushed by a bunch of Shrieks. And I think this is the first time we fought Shrieks. I don't remember them showing up before now. Uh, but... I think they show up later in this line of quests. Well, I don't yeah, think so they we've... show up in yeah. Orzammar. Yeah. So I guess just from the way that we have approached this, this is the first time we are fighting Shrieks. Mm. But I actually found that to be super effective as a way of, to me, I was like, oh, they're like introducing this enemy in a really cool way. And I guess it wouldn't pan out like that otherwise. But for us, it worked out really cool narratively. So neat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they mentioned something like all the characters kind of have a little thing about that. I like I like moments like this. You know, Dragon Age does it. I feel several times throughout the games. I mean, there's a very famous one in Inquisition, but parts where it suddenly goes like oh right even your home camp is not safe like there are Mm. bad things happening and they can attack Mm. you and i felt this one was very effective because you just got to see all of your like all of your i guess you would call it like your squad working together uh fighting i feel that's always very effective when games do that when they let you see oh yeah i've got a whole army behind me and they, they're all badass, and they can all fight a bunch of shrieks off. But one of them says, we should really put some barricades up around the camp. And I thought, 
after this, they do put barricades up around the camp, but they didn't. And now I'm really bothered. <laughs> and I'm looking for them. I'm like, is there a prompt that I'm missing or something? Like, am I supposed to put those up or I'll keep getting ambushed whenever I, when I go to camp? Uh, I can't remember. It's been bothering me, Ken. Please, please help me feel better. I mean, it was Sten, so who gives a fuck? Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I, I, I feel like they do put stuff up, but I can't remember where it is. Maybe I'm making that up, and <laughs> I'm just I, I have like, this, like thinking about it. I have it. a vivid picture in my brain of that happening, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Listeners, write in. Let us know if we are wrong about this. Um, at CMOOSI. At C, yeah, specifically me. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> As, as we approach Orzammar up the... Which, by the way, I was kind of annoyed. I was like, how do I get to Orzammar? And it wasn't really, like, specific. Yeah. You're supposed to just kind of, I guess, suss out that it is the last... For us, the last of those little things that we have not been to yet. But I was like, uh, there's nothing on here that says Orzammar. Yeah. <laughs> um, as we approach the Frostback Mountain Road, I had to fight off some bounty hunters, which was kind of annoying. Uh, and then once we get to the actual entrance to the place there are some Logan bros hanging out being like why won't you let me into Orzammar and uh, <laughs> we get to pull that Grey Warden card and get right in and Ken I'm hoping you told them to like sod off because that's what mm-hmm. I did okay good right that's, that's yeah. what we appreciate around here and then we we get in and basically find out that the Dwarven City is in a civil war and we get to see a dude just die in the middle of like a political debate which is fantastic Gotta love it. Great intro. You love to see it. <laughs> Pretty dark fantasy, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But but it quickly establishes that there is no king because the king has died. And there are two people kind of fighting for control of the throne to become the next king. One is his son, who is the prince, but for some reason is having his claim to the throne blocked by a vote in the assembly, which... This is where I kind of struggle to get the exact pieces right because they have a king, but it's really more like an elected king rather than like a monarchy of sorts. Mm. Like there, there is mm-hmm. a republic kind of in place, um, right. and and the the other person posing opposition to Balin, who is the son, is Harrowmont, who is kind of like the old king's best pal who says that on his deathbed the the dead king told him do not let my son become king uh right so Mm. i guess we should really we should start this off with who we want to support so amy let's have you start like who when you came into this like who did you see as the person to like support in the civil war I mean, when I first played the game, I played as a city elf. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go for Balin because I heard that, you know, he's really, he really fights for the Catholics or um, mm-hmm. people people who are poor and everything. And he, he wants to bring, uh, he, he basically isn't a nationalist. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll go for him because he wants to improve Orzammar in a way that's not just basically Orzammar sticking to themselves and like not asking or accepting help from anyone else, which I thought was the best option. So on that playthrough, I went with uh, Balin, but for my dwarf uh, noble playthrough, I'm like, 
Palin's a piece of shit, mm. and I don't want to support him because he got me fucking exiled, and I hate him. Fair. <laughs> so I'm, so I'm gonna go with Harrimont because, you know, he's nicer <laughs> basically, and uh, but I think. Yeah, I think if I had to personally choose, I'd probably go for Balin, because even though he's, like, super, super shady, and he does some really horrible things, I feel like he wants to improve Orzammar in a way that isn't just them basically sticking to their old ways, which have enormous problems as it is, mm. because... Um, you know, you could be related to someone and they could like betray you without even thinking about it or and they have a system where it's like you're born into a house like if you're a a merchant house if you're from the merchant house you're not allowed to be like a a smith or a knight or anything Mm -hmm. and i think with balan he wants to improve that and i think that is the best way for Ozumar to improve. Whereas Haraman is more like stuck in his own ways and everything. Mm. So me personally, Balan, my character, Haraman, that kind mm. of stuff. Mm. Ken, what about you? So uh, I think I brought this up like back, like the first episode of the season. I feel like the, the very first time I ever played Origins, I picked Balan because I was coming from the human mage like background. And I had a very narrow view of the rest of the, Dragon Age universe, I guess. So when I hear, oh, the son of the last king is trying to ascend to the throne, but all these politicians, whatever, aren't letting him, I'm like, oh, I guess... In, like, in my human brain, that like I assume that he probably has more right to the throne, because I'm only, like, barely listening to what these people are telling me about, like, the state of, like, this sort of, like, the ways in which politics and such happen here in Orzammar. So coming from that perspective of a person that was, like, an outsider that just kind of, like, projecting his past views or, like, her, or his perception of the world onto these other people as I've been, I guess, handed a, a crown to give to somebody, uh, I went for Balin, and then I wasn't super happy with how that turned out, but I, you know, I kept going on. And then I went back and played the other Origins, and once I actually played the, uh, the Dwarf Noble and saw the way that played out and how Balin had a hand in the th- ways that went, I was like, oh, I fucked up. So, in all my subsequent, <laughs> yeah. in all my subsequent playthroughs, like, in, in my quote-unquote canon one that I put, like, into Dragon Age 2 and then on, like, the keep to go into Inquisition, I've always gone for Haramont just because, like, there's, and we'll get into this a bit as, as we go on, but, like, there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to, I guess shape the future of a civilization I don't actually exist within. So I'm just going to go with, like, based on, I guess, how things are supposed to be done, quote-unquote, supposed to be done, and help Haramon out. Oh, but that's still making a choice, Ken. Well, I know, but it's like me just <laughs> enforcing the way that they've always done things. Mm-hmm. Just upholding the standards, same as it always I know, was, huh? right? Same as it ever was. <laughs> I, uh, I went Balin, and I'll mm. be totally honest that at first... My my decision was largely based on two things. One, Balin's plot is shorter, and two, is it um, really? Damn. Yeah, it is. That's fair. Uh, the from from what I've seen, it is noticeably shorter uh, in some mm. places. Uh, but the other thing I liked about Balin was that he is, while aggressive, he is an aggressive reformer. But I like that it was brought up that 
I think here, more than any other quest that we've had so far, and that's saying something, because it's not like they haven't done this well, but uh, having an origin related to this area adds an incredible amount to playing through it again, to the point that like mm-hmm. it makes it a little bit understandable why people... I mentioned this in the first episode when I was looking at what origins people always recommended to play as. Uh, Dwarf Noble was always very up there, and and it, it showed why in this episode, where I was playing through it, and I was like, man, I kind of wish I was playing as the Dwarven Noble right now. Um, but all that said, I think with Balin, I, I also ultimately found that, like, yes, he is doing hella sketchy things. Like, I... Uh, the first task he gives you is to convince these two votes to swing in his direction because they have both been given promises by Harrowmont that uh, are contradictory. He cannot fulfill both promises. And you can do that, and I did that, but then I went to the shaper it afterwards and was like, hey, can you check on the validity of these papers? And the dude was basically like, yeah, dude. Why are you showing me illegal papers? I could, like, arrest you for this. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, these are obvious forgeries. Why are you showing me this? Please don't show this to anyone else. And I was like, uh-oh. And the game kind of didn't really let me call. I think if I had done it in a different order, I could have called them out on it. But uh, because I had already shown the papers to the other two votes, uh, I had already kind of ticked that box. Um and Balin, ultimately, I felt like I walked out of this quest as a whole, almost feeling like I was going to be uncomfortable with whatever decision I made. But with Balin, I at least felt like there was there would be things that would change under Balin. And that was kind of like my ultimate feeling that I wanted to get out of this campaign as a whole, because I think it has some really interesting choices in it, especially near the end. Um, so for Balin, I just had to go run around and do some blackmailing, while for Harrowmont, y'all had to go fight some people, as I understand it. So Ken, why don't mm-hmm. you run me down what that was like? Uh, it starts because like they want you to, or Harrowmont's like right hand is like, uh, you might have seen somebody was brutally murdered as you were coming in. Mm-hmm. So Harrowmont's a little bit sketched out. He doesn't want to be around people that he doesn't know. So if you could go to the Proving Ground and just fight these people under his name, that might be enough to convince them that you're not working for Balin and ready to kill him. So you go there, you do the fights, and you got to talk to some people that are kind of like being blackmailed by Balin that are uh, supposed to have fought under Harrowmont's name but weren't because of various blackmailing. Or one person just like, <laughs> some somebody lied to him and was like, oh, Harrowmont's not trying to fight for the throne anymore. I... I guess he didn't leave the proving grounds to know that that is not the case, but I'd be like, like persuasion check through it, like no, that's not the case, my dude. Um, and then after that, like you just go and you, you have to fight like a couple of uh, Balin's squads of people, and if you, you have to do a lot of them solo, which is like I'm glad that I spec towards things that were not just healing, because then I would have been kind of screwed. But uh, yeah, that's the first set of the first of three different missions you gotta do under, under Harrowmont. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. I haven't played... I don't think I ever did the Harrowmont, now that I think about it. Now that I'm reading y'all's notes and hearing you talk about it, I was like, have I ever done the Harrowmont side of this quest? <laughs> um, 
it does seem interesting to do that you have to kind of go through this side it seems like you got to talk to different people because ironically like with balin although his big thing is destroying the casts and wanting to put everyone on equal footing i spent most of my time talking to politicians and lords whereas here in your notes and stuff i'm seeing that you're talking to a lot of warriors who have had different issues with cast problems and things like that almost almost can like they're trying to give you reason to vote for the opposition as much as vote for the person you're supporting right now mm. but um mm. it's it's it feels really interesting i feel like it starts off really strong and then uh, so did y'all then have to do uh this next yeah you had to do dust town okay so you have mm. to do dust town yeah dust town Ooh, okay <laughs> Dust Town, I was not wild about just because it felt like another dungeon for like very deliberate padding. I, yeah, it, this was this was definitely the part where I felt there was like a little bit of padding where I was like, I should have really just walked into a room and fought some some Carta, and also like I I don't know this the whole section just feels very overly long. I mean, I guess they are trying to give you the idea of what this underground criminal society is really like but it, it felt like it stretched on very long for what it ultimately was, which was you're just kind of going in to do the dirty work of a politician that the politician can't do themselves, uh, which succeeded in making me feel like a scumbag. But <laughs> um, <laughs> Amy, I'm kind of interested in how you feel about all the Cardiff stuff, because I came out of it almost being like, can I just vote for Jarvia instead of the other two? She <laughs> seems like she's got it all together. <laughs> Yeah, well, like, Dust Town... Well, I feel like um, a lot of these places that you have to go through, they're so much better if you have a personal connection to mm -hmm. them. And I think that's 100% true for Dust Town as well. Because um, if you're a, uh, a dwarf commoner, you basically get... You have, like, a personal stake in going after Javier because uh, you would used to be part of uh, the collar and you got rid of your boss and that was Javier's I don't know husband I think and that so basically when you go to this town is that you're kind of like getting revenge or something mm. that kind of thing but I don't know I think Dust Town is very much like it's so on the nose it's like oh like because in the diamond core it's like oh yeah here are all these nobles and they're bickering and everything like that and then you go to dust town and it's pretty much the same thing i feel like like bioware was trying to make it like they're they're the same mm. kind of thing mm. and it's like i get that but also these guys are castless and they have no choice but to do shady things to survive right. whereas the, the nobles literally have wealth and everything and they're just being scumbags anyway so it kind of felt flat for me but I don't know I think Dust, Dust Town is I, I liked it better than Diamond Quarter because it felt more like especially as a dwarf it felt like I was interacting with these people in a way that that I could understand them, and mm. I like especially because I'm role playing a character who's like a big fucking snob, and so it was kind of <laughs> like humbling. It's like, oh shit, mm. like these guys have a point. 
But also, this town's not so bad because you can get Liliana a little nug called Schmooples. So, <laughs> <It's all worth laughs> as it. long as Liliana's happy, yeah. <laughs> as long as Liliana's happy, that's okay for me. So, because <laughs> I was romancing her for mm. this one. So, I was like, oh, you want a little nug? I would get you a little nug. So, Dust Town is A okay because you can get a nug as a pet. And you have it at the camp, if I remember right. And it's just adorable. So I'll allow it. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> as I was playing through this whole section, one thing that I was thinking about, because obviously it's been in the news lately and stuff, was the movie Parasite. And, like, the idea, mm. it, how that movie, like, I don't know if you've seen it yet, Amy. Um, I have I know, not. I, I know Ken has. But, yeah. um, it's, like, the idea that, like the setup of the movie is that it's this poor family that slowly works its way into becoming the various service parts of a rich family's household and the way that mm-hmm. it creates this codependent parasitic relationship between the two and and like obviously asks a lot of questions about who is the real parasite in that situation and all that sort of thing but um the the thing that i immediately noticed with dust town was that when you go to other parts of Orzammar, you kind of go through these gateways, you go through these doors, and there's lots of halls. There's there's like a lot of structure to it. Like they've built their way into these rocks and they've established themselves and they've created an abode that is like completely man-made and pristine in a way. Uh, whereas you go to Dust Town, you're just going through this like sodden path and you're going into like this really crappy place where you can tell like all the houses are just kind of shoved into the rocks where they'll fit and all that and a lot of people are just kind of living on the ground there's not really like a paved floor the way there is in Orzammar and that was the one part of Dust Town that I liked was that you were kind of seeing the difference and I like the idea that the dwarves who were living the castles who were living in Dust Town were actually closer to the rocks closer to their stone sense than the the higher up dwarves were who often felt removed from things that were actually happening in orzmar and it was a cool dynamic that i wish had just been explored a little bit more i feel like as i went through this whole section a lot of the more interesting parts of orzmar were explored in the side quests and not necessarily in the main quests like Mm. uh Dagna, I believe her name was, uh, yeah, yeah. is a dwarf oh, that you yeah. can stumble upon here who wants to go study magic. Uh, and her father will basically tell you, like, no, if she does that, she'll never be able to marry. She'll be castless. She'll uh, she'll be dead in my eyes. Uh, dwarves don't study magic. And you, <laughs> there's a lot of, like, really harmful stuff that they talk about where they're just like, oh, yeah, we've done studies and dwarves just can't do magic. That's just not how it works. And it's like... It's got some really, like, bad undertones to it that I was like, boy, they're, like, verging on some things here that are making me uncomfortable. But um, you can ultimately, if you side with the mages, go and convince Irving to take her in. And it becomes, like, this symbiotic relationship, which can have some, like, profound effects that you can see in the epilogue later on and stuff. But I thought that that was a more and an interesting... Yeah, and an Inquisition, obviously. But um, that was a cool way of exploring just like one aspect of Orzammar that I feel like Dust Town on its face didn't really do when you're going through it for the story. Mm. Um, yeah, and there was um Oh yeah, for sure. There was a oh god, I can't remember her name, but it was like this woman and she and her baby had been like kind of like cast into Dust Town yes, by her family. 
Um, and you. Oh yeah. It was. I, I can't remember her name, but like it was a way of like showing how the dwarves kind of like weaponize Dust Town and like the caste system to mm-hmm. get their way, even amongst each other, like like amongst people in their quote unquote caste. Mhm. Yeah, like in the dwarf noble origin. Um, at one point, you walk uh, down a street and you actually come across two women who have bought permits. And they're trying to, uh, and I hesitate to use the word law, but they're trying to lure a noble men uh, into having sex with them and them getting a son so they can oh, wow. be- become nobles. And it, it's, like, so shocking to mm. me, like, to... Like, when I was a kid and I was playing this game, and I was too young to be playing this game, so a lot of stuff went over my head. Uh, like, I think I was, like, 13, and I was not supposed to be playing this game. But anyway, when that was happening, I was like, oh my god, I can't remember, I did not remember this happening. And it's just, it's like Ken said, they, uh, Dust Town and the castle is this, like, the way they're treated and how in in like dwarven society and how they're looked down upon is just so uncomfortable and it's just it's just like playing it again i just can't believe it (laughs) like this game has aged pretty badly (laughs) and i don't necessarily think it's i feel like it was maybe me going like wow this game might actually have something to say about the way that we treat like class in Mm -hmm. society and it might actually have somewhere to go with it and ultimately i don't know if it like fully got there or not i was a little impressed with some of the options i had as an elf in this area to be able to point out like uh there i think it was dagna i want to say was was saying something about like oh what's it like on the surface is it i heard everyone's equal up there and there's no cast and if you're an elf you can be like uh no uh, <laughs> uh, i pretty much get treated <laughs> no by <God>. shit <laughs> yeah. oh god um and i thought that was interesting just to Ooh. have those those options mm. and i'm still kind of like I just, i'm on the fence about whether it actually engages with that stuff or just kind of uses it as set dressing as like an interesting way of setting up the fantasy world because this this game is a lot of world building like it's a lot of world building but it's not saying a lot while it's doing mm. that um, yeah. And that might ultimately be my problem, but I brought it up because I think it this becomes more interesting later on when we get to a later part of this quest, um, and maybe influenced my decision a little bit, a lot of it. <laughs> um, so after we get done basically murdering Jarvia to uh, mm-hmm. to appease whatever politician we are working for, um, and then popping out through a tunnel into somebody's house, which fun fact that is dagna's father so i like burst through a hole in his home or in his uh in his shop and then told him that i had sent his daughter off to work at the the mage's circle already he was just like oh my god i hate you so much he is having the worst day it's all your fault it's like the kool-aid man busting through the wall and then telling him he like gave away your baby (laughs) oh yeah um oh no (laughs) um so it's at this point where we both i i mean if our paths have not completely converged it's really only beginnings of balin and harrowmont that are really different by now we get to a point where we are completely on the same path and uh whichever side you're working for wants you to go find bronca and so 
we're going to hit a few lore things that we have purposefully not touched on up to this point. Uh, so Orzammar, home of the dwarves, is underground and used to be part of a giant underground network until the Darkspawn were created. And once the Darkspawn were created, they kind of took over large pieces of the Dwarven Kingdom, which we now know as the Deep Roads, and that is kind of where the Darkspawn hang out when they're not running up to the surface and creating what we know as a Blight. Am I doing all right so far, Ken? Am I doing yeah, you're good. Cool, cool. <laughs> I'm passing the test so far with no wiki in front of me. I'm feeling great about this. Um, so the other aspect that we have to look at is that uh, we've already talked about how Dwarven society is built on a caste system and there are differing levels of the caste. There are warriors and merchants and nobles and things like that. But there is one uh, level that is above all else, which is the Paragon. And basically it's a way that they recognize a dwarf as a living legend among them. And a paragon is basically seen as having contributed so much to dwarven society that they are named paragon, basically become the most important dwarf ever, and also get a house named after them. And that is how new houses are largely established, is by paragons. Uh, and paragon Bronca has gone missing. Uh, went into the deep roads two years ago to go searching for a relic called the Anvil of the Void, which is what the dwarves use to make golems, which are machines of war, which it, at this point, if we had done the DLC, uh, Ken, I th think you had already. I think oh, yeah. you've already. Yeah. Back in the day. Um, so Ken has already done the DLC to recruit Shale. Um, I have not because... Again, when I first played this game, it was without any DLC, so I actually had no idea that Shale was part of the base game as DLC and not Awakening, and now I'm to the point in the campaign where I don't know if I'm going to recruit Shale, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll put a pin in that, but uh, at this point I did not have Shale. Um, Shale's great. Shale's like, amazing. I always take Shale. I feel Shale. like having Shale on this particular story mission would have been very valuable, so I was kind of bummed about that when I read that. After finishing Orzammar, I was like, hey, it's weird that you didn't have Shale for any of this, and it was like, oh, you should have had Shale for this, and I was like, oh, neat. <laughs> Fun. You'll just have to do it again, Eric. <sighs> it's fine. Oh. <laughs> There's so many hours of the day, Amy. There's so many hours of the day. Um... <laughs> Anyways, a golem is kind of a large machine of war, which up to this point, especially if you are an idiot like me, only know of as, hey, cool, it's a mech. The dwarves made mechs. Why don't they have more of these? That's awesome. Apparently they need the anvil of the void to do that. So the reason we need Bronca is because a paragon's vote seems to be the thing that will tip the, tip the scales in favor of either Balin or Harrowmont's. Um, and to find her, we've got to go into the deep roads and chase after her. Uh, and that's when we meet Ogren, who is actually quickly becoming one of my favorite characters that I didn't care about when mm. I first played the game, and now I love him. He's great. <laughs> I want to have him along all the time. Uh, but Ogren is basically just a drunk fuck up that is lovable and fun, and he's, he's great mean to as have shit. along. Yeah, he's he's look he's had a tough life you know you give him give him a break <laughs> my warren is gorgeous he does not such... need to be called ugly by this man <laughs> <laughs> oh 
I mean, I have such conflicted feelings of uh, Argren, and, and that's mostly because of Bioware's writing him as a drunkard, and like, I don't know, because I, I, like you said, Eric, he has such a tough life, and at one, like, I'm like, half of me wants to hug him, and half of me wants to punch him, so it's like, oh, it's so difficult, but yeah, I think Argren's a really complex character, but I just hate how he's introduced mm. in a way, or or how he's how he's been reduced to oh that drunkard in like later on in the uh, awakening, but I don't know that's that's a whole other story. But yeah, I I, I feel complicated feelings about Argrun. I am happy that he is part of this storyline now because I feel like it's a very pivotal moment for him, and it feels like I'm doing to he's like it feels like he has two personal quests at this point. So I'm like glad to get one out the way if you know mm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know the way the way Ogryn shows up. Like you're right, it's very strange. Because first of all, you just kind of walk up there, and if you by this point, if you've been doing Balin's quest, you've already been to the Deep Roads once. But he just kind of stops you. He's like, "Hey, you're going to the Deep Roads, right?" And um, it's like, "Oh, right, we got to get this character in there before you do this quest." <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think the reason why I like Ogryn so much is because he is kind of that like BoJack Horseman character. Like he is just. A constant fuck up but there is some like reason for why he is the way he is and you want to try and like figure that out and i feel like especially in this quest i was enjoying the storyline of it more because of the way that he tied into it and the way he could like kind of intro each section and give you a little bit more story as you're going through these i mean let's let's just be honest here otherwise very a uh, linear, not terribly exciting caverns. <laughs> um, yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> uh, I thought that there were some really interesting combat moments in in these sections, which I, I'm kind of like going through in in broad sweeping terms because there's a lot to get through here. But uh, we we get to Keridan's Cross, which is kind of like the first area and you get a little bit of a moment where you t- you can learn a little bit more about like who Keridan was uh why the cross is important anvil avoid how all this stuff fell and it's all really fascinating to me but then it's kind of punctuated by just running through things <laughs> and hitting dark spawn just cut it out just just cut it out just cut <laughs> like two hours of this bullshit out i wouldn't not i wouldn't lose all of it there's like good stuff in here i i just feel like it could have maybe just been like condensed like if you took the three areas so we have like keratin's cross the orton thag the deep trenches and then eventually you get to um is it no is orton tag tag thag okay yeah i have no idea i'm gonna butcher that so many times on this um Keridan's Cross, the Orton Taig, the uh Deep Trenches, the Dark Trenches, Dead Trenches, Dead Trenches, there we go. See the names are even like million different names for them. And the Anvil of the Void. <laughs> I feel like all could have almost been condensed into one larger area, or maybe two, and it would have felt like it just flowed better. Because I think there's a lot that happens, uh, especially in the Taig and the trenches that are that's interesting and is worth having as this like interstitial moment between entering the dark roads or the deep roads god there's too many d words in this game (laughs) between entering the deep roads and then getting to the anvil of the void but i i don't know 
Ken, I know you love taking a razor blade to this game. You, you love just, like, hacking it up. So, like, yep. I don't know. <sighs> Ken, tell me one thing you did like about this section before we get moving through it, before we get breezing through it. Give me, you gotta give me one nice thing you liked about getting to the Anvil of the Void. Uh, it's okay, Ken. You can do this. Uh, would Ruck, would Ruck be one of them? No, uh, that that was really sad, actually. And I, mm, I okay, I, okay, sure. Ruck is one thing that's pretty interesting because he is this dwarf who's apparently been down here a long time has contracted the taint of the dark spawn and like there's even this like really kind of like chilling moment where he says like i can see this same darkness in you yeah because you know like we have i was hoping he picked up on that yeah and that's like a really unnerving thing to hear but also like yeah we'll meet a character in a dragon age 2 dlc that we're gonna cover that basically proves that he's not wrong and that is a very frightening thing to, like, even consider, um, and, like, not even, like, just in the confines of Dragon Age Origins, but, like, to wonder what the character of the Warden will, is gonna look like. You know, I, I doubt we'll ever see them again, but, like, if we hear some sort of, like, status about how they're doing, I guess, in maybe Dragon Age 4 or the whatever's beyond that, are they gonna, you know, end it up like that? That's a scary thing to think about. Here's, here's something I wanted to mention. Uh, so after we find Ruck, and we can also find papers here that will help us uh, restore a uh, a woman back in the shape of it to being a noble, which is really cool. I like that little side plot. Uh, it's just real nice. Um, but uh, we can find Ruck. And also, did you lie and say that you would like lie to Ruck's mom and tell tell her that he was dead? I want to know how I, you resolve that. I actually didn't bring it up to him i just like i oh you just left because just... like there's like he's very easily like upset about things so i was like i don't feel like like he is i mean to whatever degree he is he's very content where he is so i don't feel like i'm gonna bring that up and like pick at those old wounds of his oh see I, I brought it up and he was like don't don't tell her that i'm down here it'd be better if she thought i was dead and mm-hmm. i was like cool i'll just lie to her for you and then i did yeah. that turns out that win is like totally cool with that by the way win likes that <laughs> win approves of you lying about somebody's fate to somebody For once. Else. Wow. um but uh the next kind of major part that we hit uh and, and along this whole way we've been fighting a lot of dark spawn some spiders get mixed in there by the time we get to the orton tig uh we fight some stone golems uh which kind of starts to give us the idea of you know oh yeah we're going for the anvil of the void which has golems and oh hey these golems are active down here that something seems like it's up um we meet the legion of the dead and this is the part that i really liked uh the legion of the dead because Mm. up to this point i was trying to remember if we've been explicitly told this or not uh i want to say that maybe a conversation with duncan brings it up but one of the characters mentions that when a gray warden retires they basically mm-hmm. walk into the deep roads and fight until they're killed to take right. as many darkspawn with them as they can. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember that coming up in a conversation before now. Maybe if I had gone further into yeah. some conversation trees with like Alistair or Duncan, yeah. I might have found it. I, I, I've had that conversation with Alistair because he kind of wants to like bring up the fact that like, by the way, 
don't worry about dying of old age. Just heads up on that. And then well, he, like, kind of He brings up that, that lifespans are shorter for Grey Wardens at one point. I remember that, but I don't remember him talking about the actual, like, walking into the deep roads to die. Yeah, I mean... No, I... I would say it, it might be, like, later in the... Because I know I, I distinctly remember having that conversation with him. But that, that was the part where I was like, oh, right. Uh, this is the life that my character has been, like, assigned to. Like, I was talking to the Legion of the Dead, and they were all, like... They hold a funeral for their members when they join because they basically accept that they are already dead and that's how they can continue to serve their purpose is like the front line against the dark spawn for the dwarves uh and and a lot of this section is really interesting because you get this different perspective on the blight which is that the dwarves kind of don't care about the blight because they have to deal with the dark spawn every day you know they are always at risk of dark spawn encroaching on their territory and causing havoc so (laughs) I think the the Legion of the Dead guy, um, Cardall, I believe. No, oh, um, gosh, I don't remember his name. Uh, he he says something like, "If anything, a blight on the surface means a little bit of rest for us down here." <laughs> I was I was like, "Oh man, so you know he's he's right. He's he's a jerk, but he's right." Um, and, but you can gain his like respect after you fight across the bridge next to him, and he's like, "Okay, well, I can see that you're trying to actually like do things down here, so you know, like, I'll begrudgingly respect you." Um, but that's that's kind of all the world building out of the way. Now we get to the heart of the actual plot. I feel of what this whole section is about, which is Bronca, and it starts with this voice that we start hearing, uh, which we find out comes from a dwarf that has similarly been tainted by darkspawn blood uh similar to what ruck was experiencing uh their name is hespeth and yeah i have feelings about yeah this gets into i i was i I think we should put like a a content warning here for like yeah content warning yeah there's there's bad bad stuff ahead this gets nasty real bad stuff. real nasty real fast so um if you get queasy now is the time to like or if any of any of the stuff that you think might be involved with bad things and content warnings happening uh now might be a time to just like see you next time on normandy fm <laughs> <laughs> but for those of you who are sticking around um hesbeth this whole setup as we find out because bronca when when bronca came into the deep roads to find the anvil of the void she brought essentially an entire house with her and up to this point you know we found remains of camps and signs that bronca was was moving along and even a journal entry that she left behind saying that she could sense the void was the anvil of the void was near and she was going to make one last effort to try and get there and if you know she basically left like a a final letter behind uh for someone to find in case they came looking for it and hespeth is the first living dwarf from bronca's expedition that we found i think ruck was a separate expedition um and as we gradually learn uh hespeth was the former captain of bronca's expedition and apparently former lover uh who was Mm. kind of left behind as a sacrifice almost and this is where it, it kind of got a little nebulous with what actually went down and so i was going to like pose this out to y'all as the more maybe knowledgeable of the lore and the story here but um there was a there... yeah like 
like a creepy poem. Yeah. Like, it starts... And it's when I first played it, again, at a very young age that I shouldn't be playing Dragon Age Origins, I was really scared. Mm-hmm. I remember being terrified. I was like, where is that coming from? And, like, you just... You just keep going uh, throughout these deep roads, these really, like, you know, the small tunnels and everything, and it's just the most... I honestly think it's it's still, like, in 2020, one of the most creepiest things mm. Dragon Age has done. And when you find out what happens, mm. like, what happens, uh, it, it's just even worse. Because, uh, like, you know, like I said, if you're... Like you said, if you're queasy about this kind of stuff, don't listen. But it's just like when you find out what they do to women mm-hmm. in this this section, it's just mind blowing because you know you. If I remember right, they don't do this. The darkspawn don't like cannibalize the men. If right. I remember right, and so it it feels it feels very weird mm. to me. I mean. I hate to say it makes sense for like the, how darks want to born, so to speak, but it's just it's just horrifying to know that, you know, especially in terms of Ostagar, when you know you, when uh, you talk to Morrigan and she's like, oh yeah, some of the people have been dragged underground, and you come to a slow realization mm-hmm. that oh my god, that they're, they're not just being killed, that they're, they're being turned into these things, and it's just a horrifying like horrific realization and then you see that Hespith who was also Branka's lover has been abandoned by someone who is like supposed to love her and it's it's it just really feeds into the whole nitty gritty dark fantasy mm. that Dragon Age Origins is trying to very well trying desperately to sell to mm-hmm. you yeah the the idea <laughs> um that these these women are basically being corrupted and then like being force-fed essentially and cannibalized cannibalizing their own kind to like create these brood mothers that as we quickly find out one of them has already become uh and like these just uh, these fleshy creepy monstrosities mm-hmm. that birth the dark spawn and uh can you note that if you bring up the codex uh that you you get from these sections you can kind of learn that Oh, there is like reasoning behind the names of the Darkspawn, and it's because each of the names kind of corresponds to the the way that the Darkspawn is created, like what race it is created from. Like, they're almost like tinges of the Reapers in this. Mm-hmm. Like, I got kind of the same mm-hmm. feeling, but it was so much darker because I feel like the Reapers. It was a similarly creepy, invasive sort of thing where it was like tech taking over them. But there was something about the way that it happens with the dark spawn that feels just much, uh, like more horrific in the right. moments. Um, and I, it's like I get like I, and like like you said, I mean, like they were going for like a very dark fantasy thing here. But it's also like it feels very excessive to me, just like mm-hmm. that they had to like go hmm. this extra mile to create this very like gendered horror. And how these care like how this like yeah, yeah. species comes to be, and it's like the the codex is in in origin specifically they say what they do, but like I was reading up on the wiki, just like reading like more to kind of like clarify some things, and the specifics that the wiki goes into, I don't know where that's written in like Dragon Age lore, and it's just it gets so excessively graphic and yeah, like I don't know why they had to go that extra mile, and it makes like. 
Because, like, the Broodmother, because its design is what it is, it is this massive monster with, like, boobs all out there. And, like, the the mother in Awakening, who we'll get to, like, it's just... It makes those, like, the jokes and kind of, like, the memes that surround that design taste, like, very tasteless to me now. In, like, a way that I guess I didn't realize back in the day, because, like, that was, I guess, something that went over my head at the time. But I'm just, like... I wish that they hadn't gone this route, and I'm kind of... It's another thing that really sours me on this section of the game, is that I just... It feels so unnecessary, and... Like, that's... It's... I mean, we've said the content warning, so I hope that anybody that's not, like, really affected by this stuff is not... Like, has maybe skipped past this at this point. But I'm just I'm just not down with it, and I wish that it just hadn't been this thing that was in this game. The, the thing you... No, I totally agree. The thing you brought up there that is now like making me question some things is is you mentioned that it was like a very it's a very gendered approach to how this Mm -hmm. is done which feels very strange because while you could argue that the darkspawn are kind of like masculine presenting in a way they're not explicitly coded to be right of, of any sort of gender so the idea that they need some sort of like maternal figure to create the stuff for me makes me go like why would they need that like why is that the choice they went like it it brings up it brings to mind like i think another like sci-fi slash fantasy property that's done this sort of thing is like uh starcraft and the way that like they do the broodmother stuff and uh similar things with kerrigan becoming queen of all zerg but i feel like that was almost different in that case it was like a moment of kerrigan becoming empowered and coming into her own and it was definitely like oh now she's the queen of blades and she's going to she like overcame this betrayal and now she's going to like kill everybody in the galaxy and kerrigan's fucking awesome hell yeah whereas here it's like this it's played up for kind of like horror show creep show sort of stuff and and Mm -hmm. that's kind of where it gets me um yeah it feels like a punishment yes like it it feels really punishing, especially because you know it's part of Branka's house, mm. and it feels like the game is kind of saying, hey, this is what happened if you listen to Branka, that kind of stuff. Mm. And it, it, it is a, it's a deeply uncomfortable scene. Like, you know, as a kid, I don't, you don't realize, but then you, you replay it, and you're like, oh, God, like, this is deeply uncomfortable. And like Ken said, really excessive especially because you find out like like you guys said you find out they make it in different they make the darkspawn in different ways but like you also find out that the taint can turn you into ghouls which isn't darkspawn but if i remember right you still hear the call Mm. of the arch demon Mm -hmm. so it's like why why do we need these brood mothers then like, I know that it's kind of, I know it's kind of like a breeding ground so to speak but it I don't know I I think honestly I think they just wanted to show tons of that's I, that's very part of, I, I will say part of it for me was like I had this issue with Mass Effect where I was like oh you know they say that they turn a bunch of people into husks or whatever but it seems like the number that are appearing doesn't seem like the same amount that would have necessarily it wasn't like a one-to-one ratio it's the idea of like oh there are these massive hordes of darkspawn that we see in the dead trenches that are like literally filling up the bottom of this giant chasm and all that 
that maybe explains how they like create such large numbers but again like do you need to go this specific route to do this like how the answer is no yeah yeah um like like how specific did you need to get about this to the point of like was this and and ultimately what it serves is i i feel like it's point in the story is to point out again like how bronca is this person who is laser focused on achieving their goals like they'll do anything to get the anvil of the void and that's that's what the point of the story is uh and given things that happen later on in the story i don't know we necessarily needed the emphasis on that right um Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, it makes me a little bit glad that later Dragon Age games get away from the Darkspawn, like right. kind of yeah. leave that as a forethought and and start to focus on other conflicts. It almost feels like I, I wouldn't venture to say it is a conscious choice, but I definitely feel like the fact that this point doesn't really come up again outside of Dragon Age Origins slash Awakening is maybe like reflective of them not wanting to go back to it um i do imagine probably and again listeners at home i have not played awakening so sorry if any of this is addressed in any dlcs or whatever uh i do wonder if we're ever going to get to the point where they do like really get into that stuff but uh, we, we will see um anyways finally once we get past the brood mother and uh, frankly like i only died once on it but it, this was the point where i was like I, I have a very specific issue, Ken, with this game. Mm. It's that you can't use, you can't set a tactic for revive on win. You have to do it manually. Yep. Uh, yeah. Or, or rather, you can't set a condition that says if an ally dies, use revive on them. You have to. Uh, the the thing I found online was people saying just set a tactic that's like if they're under ten percent, use revive, and just hope that they die. And I'm like, that's not a really good option. That hmm. seems like a bad option. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was hitting a wall with that a lot. And also, uh, we'll talk about this in a later episode. But I did the the mission where you fight Flemeth for for Morgan, and I was definitely I had, I had to cheese that one a bit. Mm. Uh, I I did some some things I'm not proud of, Ken. In fact, I had to fight her twice because of a bug in the game. So uh, I did things I'm not proud of twice. <laughs> but um, we finally get to the Anvil of the Void and we start to, we meet Bronca finally. And Bronca is just completely like blows uh, Ogren off and is basically like, I'm here to get the Anvil of the Void. Do you think you can honestly get it after all I've sacrificed? And we basically do. But um she kind of gets played up again to be like this villainous character who is completely selfish which is weird because we've heard so much about how amazing bronca is and how much bronca has done and then uh once we get into the deep roads it's just like we're gonna remind you that everyone is terrible in dragon age (laughs) no no one is free of sin (laughs) um we we fight through a gauntlet that was not very challenging uh, that that was just kind of a long series of hallways and fights uh, that had some clever ideas. Cool. Uh, I, I like the part where you have to fight the ghosts and then hit the anvil. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. That's a neat little thing they came up with. Yeah. Uh, but then we finally meet Keridan, uh, who is a golem. Surprise! Uh, the Keridan of Keridan's Cross and maker of the Anvil of the Void uh, is a golem and 
basically explains to us what I think most people would have probably figured out by now anyways, which is that creating a golem has a cost, and that cost is the soul of a dwarf. So if we're pulling StarCraft references again, uh, golems are all dragoons. Uh, they all are basically just a living metal imbued with the soul of a dwarf that has to live on until it's destroyed. Um, and eventually, like, it started out with Keridan only wanted it to be for volunteers, and just anybody who was willing to make that sacrifice could make that sacrifice. But then his king uh, kind of went mad with power and demanded that they start conscripting people to, to do it. And as he says, uh, there was a river of blood flowing from the anvil. And when Keridan objected to it, he was the next one put on the anvil and turned into a golem. So um, it's at this point that we get a choice because uh, Keridan has basically been here for ages and ages, but cannot destroy the anvil himself. And, and so here's the weird part. He says he cannot is it that he can't touch it or he can't like approach it or something like that he says something to that effect i know he can't destroy it but i thought he said something like i can't approach it or something like that uh i don't remember the specifics of what he said but i know i know what you're getting at is that like it yeah. doesn't seem to make sense what he does later but yeah yeah i i just remember being like hey I... wait what <laughs> but... yeah i think he can approach it because he later helps you mm. out right. if you choose a certain right. choice. But I don't think he can physically break the anvil, if I remember. Yeah, it's something, gotta be something like that. But he... it's, look, it's fantasy rules, okay? <laughs> Dragon Age rules is, it's, is what he is. <laughs> um, I I chose, and Bronca obviously shows up as like, no, give me the golems and we'll make Orzammar the greatest fighting force in the world. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And while Ogren does pose the idea to you that you could give it to Bronca and then convince her not to use it, which I think is an option if you want to do that, uh, I sided with Keridan because mm-hmm. uh, the sensible thing. Yeah, he seems less crazy. Yeah. Well, so I, I brought up earlier the reason why I brought up all that stuff in Dust Town earlier was the thing I thought of when he mentioned that people were basically being con- conscripted into turned into golems, I was like, those people in Dust Town are going to be the mm-hmm. first on the block. Mm-hmm. And all keeping the anvil will do is, like, enforce the caste system, and the, the working class will be turned into golems and, and basically confined to this life of horror that they do not want. Uh, so that's... <laughs> my thesis on class conflict y'all <laughs> uh rise up uh, strike down the broncas of the society and uh watch parasite yeah um so we kill bronca ultimately i feel like ogren is kind of okay with it in the end which is weird because if you offer him the boon that Keridan offers he's just like yeah whatever it was nice that you did that and i'm like dude i just killed your ex-wife i think it was um like you're not more mad at me about this uh Auckland's so chill he really is he's a great guy. he's like it had to be done yeah and then Keridan makes you a crown to give to whichever dwarven uh aspirer to the throne that you want and then jumps into lava like the terminator it's great i love it i love the jump into lava he like swan dives into it mm. and it was majestic that's how i want to go 
Um, in in lava. Yeah, but only if I'm a golem. That's that's the important part. Okay. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll remember okay, that. If I'm ever turned we'll take, into we'll a take golem. note of those particular circumstances. And... <laughs> if you ever find me in this exact situation, please, it's what I want. Um, so we get to go back to Orzammar. We get to magic zip back to Orzammar thanks to the power of Ogren, and. <sighs> Is it really weird that you can just choose to give it to whoever you want at this point? Like, I felt mm. it was weird that even though you could have done this long quest line, you get to choose whether you want to give it to Balin or Harrowmont in the end. Like, it just... All that matters is it might, like, change a little bit of the outcome and what reward you get. But ultimately, you can just be like, yeah, Harrowmont or yeah, Balin. I'm, whichever choice I want to make. And also, I think the... we, we make this choice, which is super messed up. <laughs> Yeah, on, on two, on multiple notes there. Yeah, yeah I do know that if you, <laughs> if you if you give it to the person that you haven't been supporting up to this point, you'll end up fighting more people. When I guess people you know start coming at you well, after, like if they don't only, agree. Only if you give give it to Haramont. Yeah, no matter, I think um, no matter what, if you give it to Balin, he yeah, it all goes well. Yeah, and um, but I and I mean maybe in the event that you know. You've gone through all these missions, and maybe your kind of viewpoints had changed. So, I guess it makes sense that like up to the very final moment, you have an opportunity to change your mind. But it's also like, I'm a human. Why am I like? I I, I noted it in my notes that like there's this exact same plot line in Greedfall where like you <laughs> are literally given a crown to give to the yes. person that you support, and I just. I, it it feels so gross to meddle in that these specific ways, and I just uh, I don't know. I don't know about it, Eric. It does the same line too, where you can be like, "Hey, uh, it, isn't it kind of weird that y'all are letting me choose this?" And they're just like, "Well, it's the the way of the the world. The world wills it, so you got to do it." And I'm like, "That's not a good reason." <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about this. Mm. Um. Yeah, Amy, how did you feel about this whole ultimatum situation? I mean, I think it makes sense in Dwarven politics because you can literally be best friends with one person and then, like, kill them the next day. So I I feel like it kind of... It, it feels right for you. <laughs> like, if you want to change your mind, it's totally okay because I feel like even though, that you know they may try and kill you like people kind of respect it because they're like ah, that's just dwarven politics like and it's like i mean awesome is just so it's just politics central and then so basically you changing your mind kind of makes sense to me especially playing as a dwarf character it's like oh like you know i may have supported you before but actually that kind of thing and I don't know. I think it kind of makes sense. I mean, like Ken said, if you're a human or another, like, or just, like, not a dwarf, it feels really weird. Because it's like, yeah, why do I have the authority? I'm just here trying to get my army, guys. Mm-hmm. Like, can you just give this decision to someone else? I mean, I don't care who it is. Just please, I just want my mm-hmm. army. And, like, if you're a dwarf, it feels more personal, obviously. But, yeah, if you're not a dwarf, you're just like, uh, so... Can someone decide? I want my army about ten o'clock. Mm. Just please, just let us leave. Like especially if you just did not enjoy 
anything about Ozma. Like, I enjoyed Ozma up to the point where I had to go to Deep Rose, and I was like, oh god, I need to leave mm. this place immediately. So, I don't know. I feel like, like I said, if you are playing as a dwarf, it makes a lot of sense for you to either stick your guns or change your mind, but as someone who isn't, like, a dwarf, it feels just, it, it just feels weird. It just feels weird. And right. I feel that way about a lot of the scenes and origins that are d- directly linked to different origins. Mm-hmm. So I felt weird with this one as well. Yeah. I think more than probably any of the, like, main quests and origins, Orzammar is the one that, like, lives or dies based on where your origin is from, like, where your character comes from. Because not only is it, like, oh, we just said, like, you have this personal investment, but there's also, like, it just feels gross to, like, be put in this position of, like, I came here for an army and suddenly I'm deciding, like, the fate of a nation. Mm. Mm. And I feel like this is maybe just symptomatic of, of what makes Origins both really good and have these stumbling blocks is that, the or, like, the concept of Origins lets you have these moments like this. But then on on the same side you have to make every other origin eventually do this as well right and it's going to feel weird when they're going through this mission as opposed to when the dwarf noble or the dwarf commoner is so you you kind of have similar setups in the circle of magi and uh in the brazilian forest and where you feel like you're kind of an interloper and and you don't know if you should really be getting involved in all this whereas when you're a character from that origin you're like oh well I have something to say about this. I grew up here. This is my life. So obviously I do want to affect change here. Uh, and I feel like it's mm-hmm. in the realm of what I should be doing to do so. But I, I don't know. I walked away from, from Orzammar enjoying it as like its own self-contained thing. And I guess in that respect, it is kind of like how Origins approached DLC in that it was like, hey, you know, we're going to have these very contained uh i mean there is an actual like dwarven dlc where you play through stuff that is like specific to the dwarves and adds more information to it but um i am right about that right ken i'm thinking of the right thing that's not like a different dlc i'm thinking of yeah you're good okay cool thank god (laughs) um we're not playing it for this for this podcast but uh it was a good standalone i just don't know I still think Urn of Sacred Ashes mm. is like what this game is about for me because it feels like it universally mm. appeals to everyone. Yep. Well, I'm, not to skip ahead too far, but I've been playing what we're going to be talking about next week and all the shit I have given this game still applies. But mm. we're coming up on the good shit very soon. At the very end of the game, the last yep. episode of Origins. <laughs> Better late finish. than never. <laughs> Ken will finally like this game next week on Normandy of M. So that, that'll do it uh, for this episode. I do want a quick shout out. Uh, as as listeners of the show may know, we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash NormandyFM where you can go and support us. Help keep the lights on. Help us keep going. And if you want to boost us up to those extra stretch goals to do more Bioware games after we finish the Dragon Age franchise, that's where you can donate and try and get us there. 
As always, we love to shout out our wonderful uh, high-tier donors. So Kevin Kulikowski, Ginny Wu, Chris Johns, and Anthony Mathias, thank you so much for donating to the Patreon. If you would like your name shouted out every week, you can get that by heading over to patreon.com slash stormdfm and supporting us there. If you don't have anything to give, that's cool. Just head over to twitter.com slash show and you can follow us there where we will post all of our stuff. We're on Spotify. We're on all the different podcast services, so you can follow us there. Amy, where can the wonderful people at home follow your work? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Han Han It's Amy. That's H O N H O N It's and A I M E. And you can catch me and my work mostly on Gaming Magazine, which is G A Y M I N G. And yeah, that's pretty much where. And as I. As we uh, said at the start, you can catch me doing Fire Emblem stuff at Foldland FM. That is Foldland FM on Twitter. So yeah, that's where you can catch me. I'm very excited to start listening to Foldland FM. I saw y'all put up an episode recently, and I was like, oh, I gotta start listening to that. Uh, we are very new, but I hope you enjoy it. It's, it's exciting. <laughs> Look, if there's one other series besides like Bioware games that I would love to podcast about, it's Fire Emblem. Uh, hot piping, hot Fire Emblem takes. Uh, yeah, we we have time. I, I think I'm I tons. think I'm already on y'all's list to maybe show up once, but we will address that later. Yeah. I have I have Leone takes. I'm a Leone defender. I'll be out here. Thank God for my girl. I don't want to be on my own oh, with Leone. <laughs> You're another. Oh, thank God. Okay, I thought I was the only one out there. Felt terrible. Leone is so good. Leone's okay, great. but people. Ugh. People just don't know. I'm just going through Golden Deer right now, so I'm slowly becoming to love Golden Deer as well. So Golden Deer's the best route, hands down. I'm sorry. I like all the other routes, but Golden Deer is where it's at. Fear the deer. Uh, <laughs> that's going to do it for us here at Normandy M- FM this week. Uh, next week, we will be covering The Land's Meet, which is a very large episode, and Ken and I will be hot off of PAX East out in Boston, so we will be totally energetic and ready to do all things dragon age and i'm just now realizing (laughs) that in the next 48 hours i have to beat the video game dragon age origins so uh look forward to that (laughs) um i I feel so sorry for you (laughs) uh, it is what it is we we knew what it was signing on for this if anything uh this week and this last week and this coming week are giving me an appreciation for what the inquisition episodes are going to be like because good lord (laughs) there's so much in that game (laughs) oh for all of us for ken for amy and myself thank you so much for tuning in we'll see you next week on normandy We have watched and waited. <laughs>